Hi, I'm Natalie, and welcome to Infinitely Irrational, where I discuss the real eccentric and complex history of math. In each episode, I unearth the wild stories behind some famous or not so famous mathematicians. Today, we'll continue the discussion around Emily du Châtelet, and this episode will answer the following questions. How can you find funds to pay for your next custom home remodel? How can you live in comfort even if you're always fleeing from the law? What do either of these have to do with math? Let's find out. So last time we left Emily, she was hanging out with her friends in Parisian Cafe Society. And one thing that I want to highlight overall, if I were to give you the big picture of Emily, she committed two unforgivable sins in the eyes of salon goers at the time. Do you want to guess what they were? She was in one. She was in one? <laughs> well, no, women could be in salons. Yeah, she, but she's not a hooker. Salons, not... Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of the Cafe Society. <laughs> okay, so you want to guess what those two sins were? Um, she colored outside the lines? Yes, she studied math. And the second one was that she loved Voltaire. Unforgivable. Now here, I need to pause to make a quick note about something that I read in the research. Even though she had affairs with several men, Voltaire was a huge part of her life. And we started this trilogy by talking about the fact that he was the one that, that gave a quote that said she was, you know, a great man. But what's interesting here is that one of the men that she had an affair with was a notorious womanizer. She asked for his help to convince her husband that there should be no fuss about her affair with Voltaire. Is this because she exceeded her quote of one mister? <laughs> her quota. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. I have no idea. I just, it cracks me up that like she's over here like, hey, um, let's, let's like, let's write this persuasive paper. We'll all go in. We'll make the case for why this is completely fine. <laughs> Come here, husband. Let me tell you why this is okay. And the person who's going to explain this best is the man I've had the affair with who has many other affairs. Exactly, correct. Yeah, yeah. so who better? Yeah, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> now, the thing with Voltaire is that they weren't just lovers. They also worked really closely together. And it was so evident that he respected her smarts. We'll hear this in a thousand different ways, which I would like to, again, remind you that at the start of this, he was like, no, smart women are the worst. But here he's like so... Uh, always with Emily and, and so like appreciative and, and respectful of her. One day he says, I was present when she divided nine figures by nine figures in her head without aid of any sort. And an astonished geometrician was there who could not follow what she did. So is this like, uh, you know, oh my gosh, look what she did. And it was stunned silence in the room. Um, yes, or else, you know what I was thinking? So when I was teaching, I would sit there sometimes and I would do, I would like do some math in my head because somebody had asked a really good question and I want to think three steps ahead before I start explaining to think about how I want to explain it. Mm -hmm. And my students would always be like, oh God, but what did you do? And but I'd miss, like, what are you doing? <laughs> I know. And so, so there wasn't the stunned silence. There was just like, what? Like, what did you do? And so that's what I'm imagining the geometrician, you know, where he's like, but could you, exp you know, and then it's a great conversation to have with students because it's like, don't skip steps. I mean, also, wouldn't they have to check her work? I guess so. Let me get out my tablet. I'm going to write this down and see. <laughs> are you correct? You can't be correct. Holy crap. Oh, you are. Co she's correct. Our bad. Shh, secret. <laughs> so... 
a little bit of context on Voltaire. Before he met Emily, Voltaire was actually in England. He actually, at this point in time, may have been exiled. So, you As, know, uh, yeah, it happens. Voltaire was always exiled. He was always in trouble with the law. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But Mapertui actually was also in England around this time. It was possibly for a visit. It's unclear. But they were so impressed with the scientific advancements that were happening in England, which they credited to Newton. So to set the stage here, Newton's Principia, his main book, had been published in 1687 in England. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Newton because he and Leibniz, uh, I actually have a very special guest that's going to talk to me a little bit about Newton and Leibniz. I'm so excited about it because that's like the math version of Star Wars versus Star Trek. <laughs> yes, it sounds very, very Exciting. It's amazing. Get out of my face. <laughs> um, now, uh, so Newton is in England and he's doing, you know, he's setting the stage for for the calculus, his version of calculus. And then, you know, somewhere else, Leibniz is doing the same thing. But in, in this case, uh, he had he had published his Principia. It wasn't uh, really popular, though, because. No. <laughs> As I was saying, sir, <laughs> it wasn't really popular because <laughs> it was so hard to read, even for mathematicians. Let me write a book that has such a narrow audience. It'll surely sell out. <laughs> well, I don't think he was trying to sell it out. But yes, it probably did not make the New York Times bestseller list <laughs> in in you know in France. Or and actually, if you if you think about it, right? First of all, I want to point out here it's saying something that it's hard to read for mathematicians because when I sit down to read math, like it takes every ounce of my attention to to read a math textbook. And it takes me a while to process. Now, as we'll talk about in the Newton versus Leibniz, you know, Star Wars versus Star Trek episodes, Newton, actually, his notation and the way he explained things was really, really challenging. That's where Leibniz came in. And he actually, like, he gives us our notation that we use today that's really compact and nice and easy to use. But the only people who really read his book were his contemporaries, I'm imagining like 10 people, I guess. But, and why would they be wanting to talk about it to less scientific readers? Like if I started nerding out about math to you, you and maybe some of our listeners would probably get pretty, pretty upset with me. I'd kind of just get up and wander out of the room, I imagine. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> But, um, that's great, baby. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> but, but exactly, right? Like, if you were interested in the math and the science, mm -hmm. that would be, uh, that you would want to talk to other people who were interested, right? Mapertui in France was having the Parisian Cafe Society. They were talking about math and science in there, but they weren't getting people who weren't interested in math and science to talk about math and science. That would be dumb in their minds. So, why would they want to be talking about it? Now, Back to France, Mapertui, he, he and Voltaire were both really excited about, about what they saw in England and Newton. And so they brought Newton's ideas, Mapertui in particular, to the salons. And what we'll see later is Voltaire influenced Emily to translate his work to French. Again, Voltaire consistently in trouble with the, the law because of all, everything he publishes, right? And so he meets Emily and, and he goes into exile. So, yeah. you know, wherever he's exiled from at any given day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was- He's always on the move. Correct. 
So he's he's like he leaves. What if he keeps a list or he kept a list? Where <laughs> well, can I go today? Well, no, it's it's not like he he leaves France and he goes to England and he gets exiled from England. Like my understanding was, he left France. He got exiled to wherever he was going, England in this case. Came back to France, I guess after a time, wrote some more stuff, got exiled again. And so I mean, does, is it, are you exiled? Like you got a ninety day exile, <laughs> it's and then you can return after that. It's unclear, or maybe he's you just pay a fine. You can come back. <laughs> Or maybe he's like, you're exiled indefinitely. And if we catch you here again, you're in trouble. And he's constantly going back because, you know, his friends, Mapper Tui and all these people. He grows are... a beard. Yeah, exactly. Like Emily, he puts on large pants and a hat and a mustache, <laughs> right? Um, so he's in trouble again. He go, he meets Emily and he needs to be in exile again. So at this point, they settle down together at Siri, which is uh, it's a rundown estate from like the 13th century that's in the independent duchy of Lorraine. So it's not, you know, like he can't be Oh, touched. it's like a little carve out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and now... It's this like is Hedwig Village here in Houston or something, something like that? Something like that, yeah. And so they, they had... This is one of the estates that her husband owned. Well, he's, he's been off war. He didn't have time to maintain all of his estates. Exactly. And so what, what's interesting is that, okay, so first of all, they have the house remodeled. Okay. Or the estate. Excuse mm. me. Some say that Voltaire paid for it. One source said that her husband was actually really happy that Voltaire was going to restore the property and maintain it at his expense. So I guess win-win. But one thing he said was, if you're going to stay here, build me a game reserve. <laughs> All right, so he's done warring, uh-huh. apparently, but he still needs to do some killing. I guess so. So he's like, all right, all right, all right. You two, this is fine. This arrangement is just is Because just the fine. womanizer convinced him that it was right. fine. So just build me a nice wing over to this side of the house, a nice game reserve, and leave me alone. Which I guess I wonder, you know, he has so many estates. Do you have one for every month of the year? Do you have one where you spring and you summer? Like you go to the Hamptons for, what do you go to the Hamptons for? Summer? I don't know. Or you're tired of your neighbors. You need to leave. Go to your other house. <laughs> I guess so. Gosh, the Joneses are back. I'm going to head over to my other estate Bye, on Felicia. the other side of the country. <laughs> now, so, so that's one source that said that. Others said that her gambling paid for it. A couple of sources that I read said that she loved gambling. So she loved to read. And she loved math and she loved science. In particular, I'm going to hone in on the reading because I'm going to talk about it in two seconds here. But she loved reading too much and buying books and stuff was expensive. And so she needed a way to fund her reading habit. Like I need a way, I guess, to fund my target habit. So she goes and she learns math and she realizes that math can help her win at gambling. And so she wins at gambling. Statistics, probability sorts of... uh... Yeah, because so this is Martin. so so like Fermat and and um, Pascal figured this out in the 1600s. You know that was around the time of Cardano, and then now after that we're getting Cardano, into the, 17th. the man of I'll slash your face. Fan. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, spoiler. And so um, she she learns math, helps her win at gambling. She takes her winnings and she buys books. And so I mean, I guess it's a lot better than a drug habit. <laughs> Oh, I've got all my gambling weddings. What am I going to do with this? Books. Well, is it though? Because the sources say that they brought in, and I quote, thousands of volumes for their library that they're redoing. They're remodeling this house. I'd like a nice big library. Thousands like that. of volumes. 
Oh, and I imagine I can't imagine how expensive those were at the time. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I don't I don't know when the printing press was invented, but well, who knows? Maybe it was invented. Well, I think at the time you know, still it's, it's such a slow process. Yeah, and definitely. Spent, you know, and it costs so no much to, to put together a book. So they bring in thousands of volumes for their library. Mm-hmm. They then turn the Great Hall into a lab. Like a legit laboratory. I'm really picturing lightning and electric current. You should, because it had air pumps, furnaces, a telescope, microscopes, like all sorts of science stuff. I really want to picture a Frankenstein lab. You should. Imagine that exactly. But also, if it were in the Great Hall at Hogwarts. That just sounds fantastic. Okay, I'm saying. Yeah, that's great. Like, you got to understand the amount of money that these people had to reno that estate. Because they put in the Great Hall, they turned this into a laboratory. They had a library with thousands of volumes. Like, this is my ideal house. <laughs> I guess we get a hold of a custom builder and see what they can do for us. Yeah. Put science over science. there. Science. This room is science. <laughs> put all the science-related necessities we we need in here. Now, the, the Great Hall, you know, slash laboratory, this is where, and I'm saying it like laboratory because it sounds like very Frankenstein-y, but this was actually where she worked on the Newtonian optics. Now, at this estate, this actually became a huge, um, like, place of learning, which is really great. Now, Mapertui provided both her and Voltaire with instruction. You know, he was her tutor, but now Voltaire is here. And so he's kind of, you know, we already saw that he had the relationship with Voltaire before he was there. Um, Claude Clairot also tutored her. She had lots of tutors like we talked about. Actually, they collected his lessons and it was printed as his elements of geometry. Emily studied Descartes, who one of these days I'm going to cover, I swear. But she was actually drawn to, you know, what um, what Newton and Leibniz were doing. And we'll talk through a little bit of the differences between them and Descartes when we cover mm-hmm. them. Uh, but at the time, Maupertui and Clairaut were probably the only two Newtonians in the French Academy. But then Emily and Voltaire soon joined in. Now... She was super rough on all her tutors. Often, like she would get more. She would hit them with sticks. Yes, what? she would beat them. Um, she would out. She would get like smart. Like she would with her learn. big man hands <laughs> <laughs> and her prodigious strength. Yes. Um, but she she would actually like she would outpace them, and then she would start asking really rigorous questions that were impossible to answer. And in fact, she quarreled with one of her tutors, Samuel Koenig, while she was in Brussels for some legal dispute that was involving her husband. I don't know what it was. I didn't care. Um, but the, but here's what they, they fought about. And like, it was such an intense fight that it ended. Like She was like, get away from me. And he was like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Never speak to me again. Okay, so this is what they argued over. The subject of the infinitely small, like something that's really tiny. Okay, is that similar to something trending to zero? That So that's asymptotic. And so if you think about something that's trending to zero, it would be like, can you get all the pollution out of this lake? Um, you could get it really, really, you really half small. It, you could half it, you could half it, but you couldn't actually reach zero. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if you think of half-life of 
elements and things like that. Uh, plutonium, I don't know why I think of Back to the Future. I mean, I know why. But, you know, you think about half-life, like how long it takes for some amount to, you know, go down. That tends to zero. But infinitely small is like, if you think about the number line, right? If you're tending to zero, you're getting closer and closer and closer to zero, but never touching it. But right. if you keep going past zero to the left, eventually you're going to get to negative infinity. Okay. So something that's infinitely small, like I didn't really get, I didn't really look up, you know, what specifically their argument was about something that's infinitely small. But if we're talking infinitely small, are we talking tending to zero or are we talking negative infinity? Okay. So maybe that was their argument. Maybe so. <laughs> that's it. I'm leaving. I'm never talking to you again. Bye. Bye. Yeah, exactly. Intense, right? Yeah. So anyway, Siri, which is the estate, had a lot of visitors who got to who usually got to see Voltaire's latest play with Emily starring in it, which is intense because here you're doing all this work, you know, on Newtonian optics and learning about whatever, you know, doing your work in your lab. And then you're also learning lines. And I can imagine being her nature, it's going to have to be perfect. <laughs> so, I mean, where does she find the time? Well, interestingly enough, I have a tale about that in the... Uh, in the next episode, it's going to be excellent. Now, the two of them would, would shut away working all day. So like, even though they were lovers, they also were, they very much really enjoyed whatever work they were doing. I mean, Voltaire was, you know, he constantly wrote scathing things about the government. And um, here, Emily was really interested in math and science and also reading. So they would like shut themselves away and working. This became, Siri became the French center of Newtonian science. Mappertui and Clairo, as, as well, of course, as we talked, Samuel Koenig, and then the Bernoullis, which I, first of all, love that they're always called the Bernoullis. It's like they're- I'm really picturing, you know, a circus. Yeah, right? Like with, with the, you know, trapeze artists or something. Exactly, the flying Bernoullis. Now, maybe we'll cover them later, but it became more of an academy than a salon, which was so popular at the time, which is really, really interesting. Now- one visitor to Syria at this time was Francesco Algarotti. And sidebar, he is classified as a polymath. And I love that word, polymath. I googled it because... I was about to say, what the devil is that? Yeah, well, the first time I heard the word was in Hamilton, where he, you know, he says, like, people refer to me as a polymath. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so I meant to Google it then. And every time I listen to the soundtrack, I always think I should Google polymath and I never did. And so now I had the opportunity to do it because I was on a computer reading about Francesco Algarotti, the polymath. And polymath means a person of wide ranging knowledge or learning. That's a good word. Isn't it? And yeah. like, you know, I love it because it's polymath. <laughs> also, um, it applies to Hamilton and also apparently Francesco Algarotti. Okay, so... This guy actually inspires Voltaire and Emily to work on their own account of Newton's elements, which became popular. So when the papers got wind of this, because you know how the media is, they ridiculed the idea like Voltaire would ever collaborate with someone, much less a woman, on the super hard undertaking of Newton's philosophy. Maybe she could, you know, publish her own coloring book, but... Mm -hmm. nothing with a man such as him and and the thing is right like he kept telling them she is the one who explained the harder concepts he even put something in the dedication that said something about lady newton was the greater of the two 
And still, they wow. were, yeah, and they yeah. were like, no, I'm just going to believe what I want to believe. Everybody, Voltaire would never do this. Don't believe his dedication. Don't believe the words he himself is telling you. He's a liar. <laughs> now, when, when she worked, we already talked in the first episode about how she would dance all night and flirt. Dance and, and gamble yeah. and flirt and affair. Uh-huh. And, and then, then during the day, she would, she would, you know, work all day. Now, when she worked, she like worked. You know how when you come in the office to talk to me when I'm working half the time, I don't even hear you? Yeah, I usually wait for about 20 seconds. If I don't get a response, I'm like, oh, you're way too into something. Uh, yeah, I'll just turn around and leave. That's exactly how she was. Now, she worked, uh, worked hard. But when work was done, like complete life of the party. She lived her best life. Like I said, she gambled all night. She worked out math problems before breakfast and then, um, you know, partied all night again and did more math during the day. Even though she gambled, though, she was not lucky at cards. So she would never play Cardano, I guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you, also, she's beautiful. You don't want to get slashed in the face. That's true that. Well, she's not a senator, so. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Voltaire, hilariously, was against her gambling. But she claimed that the only pleasures left to a woman when she is old. Now, I don't know how old she was when she said this because she, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it wasn't that she was old. Maybe she was thinking about her future. And so she's perfecting her gambling. Oh, good call. So the only pleasures left to a woman when she is old are study, gambling, and greed. Gambling with high stakes shakes up the soul and keeps it healthy. You know, I've never really been one into gambling, and I, I know I, I can't. I would waste all of our money. <laughs> I would lose everything. Or be rich, one of the two. <laughs> now, that, I think, is a great place for us to kind of pause, because next time I really want to focus on specifically her work with the Newtonian optics, and then also just some of the stuff that she did towards the end of her life that have actually changed even our lives today. So being said, thanks for joining me for today's episode of Infinitely Irrational. Can't get enough of the math and fun? Visit us on the web at infinitelyirrational.com for the math and research behind the stories. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or email us at podcast at infinitelyirrational.com. If you love this episode, subscribe, follow, and share. See you soon for the next one.